We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And today we're going to look forward a bit. But first, let's look behind ourselves at a, a crazy 2023 for the Lakers. On January 2nd, 2023, the first Laker game of the calendar year, the starting lineup was Dennis Schroeder, Patrick Beverly, Troy Brown Jr., LeBron James, and Thomas Bryant, because AD was hurt at the time. The last game of 2023, the Lakers' starting lineup was uh, Jared Vanderbilt, Rui Hachimura, Torian Prince, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis. And that's somewhere in between we made the Western Conference Finals somehow. Uh, But there is no other team, especially near the top, that has that level of transience and uh, being an analyst of the team has been a wild ride. I'm sure you guys feel this on some level where it's like every couple months, maybe even less, the team is changing. And that's one of the things I really want for 2024, Mike, is the Lakers to be able to put their feet in the ground and become something and develop an identity. I think that the first part of this regular season, they tried at that and they haven't really accomplished a whole lot of that. But I'm curious, Mike, your thoughts going into 2024, got a really big January coming up. The irony, I think, of what you were just saying is that we spent a lot of time heading into this season thinking about how they had a real chance to propel the continuity uh, from the offseason and or from really the, not the offseason, the last season, uh, throughout the offseason and kind of hit this season with a plan. And here's what the groups are. And here's what worked last year. Here's how a couple of the additions can help um, aid towards that end. Gabe Vincent was was the one that he just has not been healthy and has not been able to participate uh, other than a couple of games. And so kind of throw that out. The Vanderbilt injury certainly threw things uh, into some disrepair uh, early in the season with what with what the plan could have been. And yet, uh, I think that by by the fact that you're in January in 17 and 17 um, and the team doesn't necessarily know exactly what it is uh, on on the court, even while philosophically trying to get there with it being big in defense and, you know, sort of trying to embrace that. But the 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 
mix of the personnel and the schemes and the lack of really getting a chance to find that repetition through having the same guys available and having the same guys playing together. Um, that's been, I think, the unfortunate part because they they do have enough, I think, to be a really good team in terms of what the talent is. But and this is kind of the big the other big thing that, that I discussed in the offseason. I think this is the year 21 of LeBron has had these ridiculous I don't know if they'll ever be matched uh, highs of like the in-season tournament specifically. And then some other games like at OKC, some games where the Lakers really wanted to win it. And LeBron was able to bring it to that level. And then on the days where it's year 21 and he's not quite at that same level, I think the rest of the team has struggled to really pick up that weight and to to carry it in different ways. And that can be difficult to do, by the way. There's not a lot of, again, there are not a lot of examples in NBA history um, where a player has still been able to reach those highs and then, you know, has to step off the gas and other guys need to realize what that takes to make up for it. And maybe it's just, maybe that's just not ever going to happen uh, to that extent. It's just a very difficult thing to do. So uh, that, that Darius would be my main takeaway though. It's just that there was this idea of where this team could go and and kind of keep taking another step up the ladder. Uh, And a lot of, there have been a lot of disruptors to that. And that's part of why you find yourself at 17 and 17. Yeah. We talk a lot about stability and continuity. Those two things do go hand in hand. I think the Vanderbilt in, the early season stuff that Rui dealt with, the concussion protocol sort of out of nowhere, and then the broken nose. This team then started on a path in which I think that they've never quite been able to course correct in the way where they've gotten right back on the line that they were trying to establish in the first place. And instead, what we've seen is them sort of swerving across the line, sort of like... um a bit of a drug driver on an empty road. And they've never quite caught that rhythm, which is the point that you mentioned in yesterday's pod, Pete, where there's this idea of, well, if we just hit that sweet spot just right, then we'll find our groove and we'll get this train back on the tracks. So I think it's harder for them to get back on track. And I'd like to see them be a little bit more conventional, Pete. You spoke about the value of unconventionality in yesterday's pod and how if you do those things well, then you can be sort of a disruptor and it makes you harder to plan for and makes you harder to account for on a night to night basis. The tricky part is, though, is that if you are going to do that, you better do those things well. And I haven't quite seen the evidence yet that this team is is going to do those things well enough, particularly if it's off course from the original plan that was supposed to be in place to begin with. Like where the Lakers are now isn't just much different from a lineup perspective. It's much different even from a strategic standpoint. They're switching so much more defensively. Their offensive um, approach shifts between these four out sets and five out actions, but being still very pick and roll centric and more post up centric for AD and LeBron than what they looked like earlier during the season. And that feels like it could be a metamorphosis towards something better, but it also just feels like, oh, well, you just changed your outfit, but you're still the same group who's doing the same stuff and not doing it well enough. And so I want that stability too, but it needs to be rooted in something 
that can propel them towards success. Because if it's not, they're going to flounder for much longer. And that's part of the nervousness about the unconventionality, right? Because you can only change what the main plan is so many times until you start to lose buy-in. And so that, I, I think that we we recorded a tr- uh, pod, I think, titled Off Track not too long ago, where that was sort of the underlying premise of what we were talking about is that we've seen a pretty good sample of a smaller version of the Lakers that and a version that was more geared toward foot speed on the perimeter and spacing that in a decent sample just didn't produce to enough of a degree and that things needed to change. And really right after that was the lineup change. And it was like, okay, great. I, I agree that coming to the conclusion of, hey, we need to kind of fundamentally change our approach. But in doing so, Mike, going to something fairly unconventional, although I would argue that having LeBron at point guard and two big wings and Anthony Davis isn't that unconventional. I think Vando's kind of the guy that makes it a little bit on a, a, a little bit strange as opposed to having a guard out there. But that's part of the nervousness of it, Mike, is that, okay, when you make that sort of change, you hope that you can plant your feet in the ground and build off of it. And this type of lineup is, it's, there aren't a lot of other examples around the NBA to so there's the part of me that will always entertain that unconventionality and that if you can get good at a different style of play and there are a few teams that have done this you can actually really leverage that to be a good team but when it's plan B as opposed to plan A and it's it's a little because if this doesn't work I think we're in a we're in a much tougher spot I want to try to put this in context with the rest of the league so if you guys just jump in here if if, if one of these things if you want to you know, take on one of these points, but I was watching OKC in Boston the other night. Uh, I guess that was last night. Mm-hmm, and, and so the styles that they both play, right, are pretty consistent. Uh, and they've been playing most of the same way the whole year. They've both had pretty good health. But so OKC specifically, they have, I think the last time that I checked and they said this in the broadcast, they have like nine guys shooting 40% or higher from three. And there, it's not that they have all the greatest shooters in the world, just that part the way that they're kind of their offense is functioning and like the spacing on the perimeter and then Shea is is attracting such attention um, as well he should in the mid-range at the rim he's he's kind of always in those areas and then the ball is spraying out and it's driving kick and it's and, and Boston actually plays somewhat of the same way um, and it's it's like it's not that hard to believe when you just watch them play and how that offense works that the shooting percentages are higher because they the shots that they're getting are rhythm shots. It's just the whole offense has this kind of flow and this rhythm to it. Now, I I want to take this though to the other extreme, and that stuff will not look like that in a playoff series. It it just is not that easy. It's not that pretty. Teams will put different types of defenses on them and they'll be up higher on them. They will face guard some of those threes. They will let Shea um, work and and make him do like there's different things to do um, with that kind of an offense. And I would put like Sacramento and Indiana into this kind of a mix where that can look really nice in the rhythm of it in a regular season. And so the Lakers are this team that don't necessarily play like that. But on a time when LeBron and AD specifically want to take it up, which we saw in OKC, which we saw in the in-season tournament. Oh, that they're just going to beat this team down um, mm-hmm. and and they're going to do it. And, and it doesn't matter what they're running and it doesn't matter. And so it's this this is the the hard part, I think, sometimes in evaluating the Lakers or a LeBron team specifically, Pete, like with with what we're watching on a night to night basis and the lack of continuity and the flow and all that stuff. And then I don't know how many teams would I pick to beat the Lakers in a playoff series right now? 
You know, it's it's a these, these are things I just want to put into the the conversation when we talk about the the regular the the uh, the day to day structure of an NBA season. I love that you brought up the OKC game and how the Lakers became this kind of blunt force object when they were really locked in and saying AD before that game was like, we're going to win this game, you know, that it was a, an important game. Let's take a break here. And when we come back, I want to kind of go further down that line. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, D, I believe that there are a bunch of different ways that you can arrive at an NBA title or at least an NBA contender. And part of it is finding the version of your players in which your group is better at the particular style of play than the other team at that. And you can drag them into that style of play. And so Golden State is one of the great examples of this in that they will force the other team just by virtue of how you have to keep up with them to downsize in ways that they don't want to. And the Kings going to Trey Lyles at the five at the end. Did they want to have him at the five instead of Sabonis? Absolutely not. It just became a necessity from a foot foot speed type of standpoint. And they kind of dragged them into this unconventional look that you think the Kings were used to playing high-level basketball like that? Absolutely not. And so they kind of drag you into their domain and then they win. And so I think this Lakers team, and this speaks to the weakness of the team, by the way, when you have to go a more unconventional route rather than just obviously being the better team at conventional basketball. If you were to frame it as how would a lineup with, say, Cam Reddish and Jared, Jared Vanderbilt be better than the other team? Like, what can they do more of? I'd say they can cause more chaos, especially on the defensive end. And that if you can drag a game into a a, a bludgeon, a, a blunt force object, bludgeoning type of style, they can actually be very helpful. If you're trying to win a skill game with those guys, you're going to get your butts kicked by the OKCs, by the Bostons. And so that's sort of... If we are going to – that's sort of the argument for a sort of bigger, more unconventional look. I think there's a way for this team to do it much better than they've done it so far. But that's part of the first stages of something, right? There are always going to be kinks, kinks to iron out. But that's kind of how I see 2024 transpiring. And I'm curious of, of your thoughts of the Lakers really leaning into this blood force object type of idea. Well, if you're going to do that, then leverage the tools. We talk about being bigger – um, stronger, maybe not always necessarily faster, but they can be in transition if that's the way that they're going. But you're not going to force a ton of turnovers 
if you're sitting back in a zone defense on too many possessions or if you are passively switching and passing off guys like the Lakers were getting steals in in the Minnesota game. They got more of them when they stopped switching and they started to sort of crowd passing lanes by being able to stay home a little bit more and playing like two on two actions for screen and rolls. Right. Like there's a way in which the Lakers can disrupt you. It's just super interesting to me that if you look at look at the games they played against the Suns over the course of the season and look at the way in which they were turning over the suns and the and the style of basketball they were playing in order to accomplish that and then look at some of their recent games when they've been playing a more switching style and those aren't the same teams they're not playing the same style they're not even trying to accomplish the same things defensively and i agree with you looking forward and trying to say, like, this can be the foundation for something. It can be, but what the difference between what that group was doing to the Suns earlier during the season and the style that they were playing, you can apply that same style to this group, but they're not. And so it's not just a lineup change. It's a tactical change. And part of that tactical change is identity-based Going from a team that is like blitzing and trapping, which requires a lot of energy, it requires like a lot of force to play that style. And so I get it that you have to like take your foot off the gas and you can't play that way necessarily with LeBron James being a critical force on the back line. Go back and watch the IST final and see how he was jumping back line passing lanes on Halliburton pick and rolls when AD is high hands at the top of the floor and they're forcing a bounce pass to Miles Turner that Turner sort of like in the short roll area and LeBron just jumps that passing lane and then sprints down court and gets like a layup. It's like you can't ask LeBron to do that every single night. But the dial turn from that to, all right, LeBron, just like you're on this guy and now pass him off like in the screen and then you can just go sit like on the back line. That's a whole different responsibility. And and it's like the mentality that goes into those those things. It's so, it's so different to me, visually even, the way that it looks on screen that I'm looking for something more in the middle. You can't do the like, oh, let's rev our motor at a thousand RPMs the the entire game, but you also can't be like just sit back and let the offense choose whatever route they want to go to attack you and expect to be good at that either. And, and so I come back to this idea, Mike, of well, yeah, let's find a more cohesive version within this group that we know can work and then look towards finding that stability with the guys that you have in-house and then make a determination. Do we actually need a change in certain aspects, potentially a trade before the deadline and find that way? And I think that that's what this month is for to speak to Pete's point, which is probably the bigger idea, which is like, Hey, this is an important month. We have to find something and build on that and then see where it might have a deficit and then try to add. Well, this month definitely should provide some of the answers. Uh, you know, first of all, there are no back to backs until the 29th and 30th. Uh, so, and, and we've talked about before the legs are basically home until then, you know, so there are, is there, are there 15 games or 14? One, two, three, four, 
15 games. Uh, and five of them are on the road. One of them is a Clipper game um, that is technically the road game. Two are in the are close geographically, Utah and Golden State. And then you finally have the Houston Atlanta um, to close it. Now, the teams that are coming in are more good than bad, right? It's Miami tonight. Um, it, it's Memphis with Ja, who is it was different from how Memphis was playing without him. Um, it's Toronto and Phoenix and OKC, Dallas, you know, Denver. Or sorry, Brooklyn, Portland, Chicago. So it's not like you don't have the the Spurs coming in, um, and you don't have the Pistons, like those those types of teams. So the Lakers are going to have to actually play uh, to win these games. But in the course of that time, can they finally settle upon what the lineups are, what the scheme is, all of that, and can that coincide with them making the decision what to do at the deadline? You know, what is it? Is it a minor tweak? Is it? Something bigger, uh, as in this just isn't going to work, uh, especially now that there aren't the excuses that were there in December. And sometimes I think the the NBA is it's just like many other parts of life. If you provide excuses, they will be taken, you (laughs) know, and if you allow for an excuse to be there. Teams tired. It's a back to back. Like if there is a mental a way to jump off of the, the of the train mentally, teams will go ahead and do that. And. That should end in January. And that to me is, is a, an important step where, okay, no more blaming this, that, or the other thing. Mm-hmm. This, this team either is or isn't good enough. Uh, and, and here's why. Let's take a break. Come back. Talk more about that January. So, D, what do you want to see in January out of this team? They, like Mike said, we've got some good teams coming in. I think that's great that there aren't the lower caliber teams where it's going to be night after night after night, where I think a great way of measuring this team is going to be, what do we look like tonight on January 3rd against Miami versus what do we look like on the 30th or 31st, whenever our last game is against whatever opponent that is and measuring the progress from there to there. there. And I think playing teams that will certainly beat you if you don't bring the necessary, not just effort, but engagement and execution. I think that's a a great thing, but I'm curious your perspective, D, on what do you hope to accomplish in that that stretch? Well, it's interesting because I think wins are so important at this stage, like they're 500 through through 34 four games. And the West is the bloodbath that we thought it was going to be earlier during the season or before the season started. It's not all the same teams that are in the mix or at the top, but it hasn't made it any less competitive than what we anticipated it being. And so at the end, I want them to win these these games and the level of competition that is coming in, as you and Mike both, both discussed, means that they will have needed to have found a certain... Like, th- this isn't where the results are going to be some um, mirage it's like you're going to need to play good basketball in order to beat these these teams. And, and so the results, I think, are going to speak to a certain amount of process. And if they get the results that, that they want, it will likely mean because they have found something within the process. And so it seems dumb to be like, what are you looking for, D? Well, I'm looking for them, them to go to 10 and 5, it, it, yep. right? It's it's like, like 12 and 3 sounds great. Pete, fire it up. But it's kind of where I am. Right now, and I'd love to kick it back to you because I'd like to know what you think needs to happen from like a reverse engineering standpoint. If I'm looking at the results, what are you looking at from a process that you think can get the team there based off of where they're starting from right now, which is like 
they're they are playing bigger they are playing this this defensive style do you think that that needs to be refined or shifted or where are you at just in general with what the building blocks can be in order to get them to that end point I think in terms of the lineups, I think that you got to put your feet in the ground and go with it and with a bigger group. Um, And so I think keeping some degree of continuity in that respect is important as much as you can. We don't know about Ruiz calf, for example, at the point of recording right now, but uh, I want to see more coordinated offense. And so if we're playing out of principle, which means no set play, it's we get a defensive rebound, come up court, set somebody sets a step up screen or have everybody be more intentional about their relocations. And just when you watch those other teams that we were talking about earlier, particularly a Boston and OKC, those are cores that have been together for years and years. Even OKC, most of those guys have played together for several years now. And when you watch them, you don't even really have to know much about basketball to see that they're a more coordinated attack than a Lakers game. And Part of that is the transience of the roster, but there is great opportunity to make a leap in that respect. And ideally, you keep building on that. But the a level of intentionality on offense, and even if if they're not going to play by principle, or if that is not if the details of that are not good enough, I like I don't think we have a ton of great read and react players in terms of reading a situation in front of them and then being like, oh, I need to cut back cut here or I need to flare as opposed to curl. I think that when that's the case and you have better athletes, but guys that don't read the floor as well, set plays and is a great way of kind of bridging that. And you give those guys, Mike, just a, hey, you go do this on this play, do this and then go do that. And that is something that you can get. And LeBron organizes this to a great extent, but that's the thing I'm really looking for, Mike, because again, being in the, in the twenties on offense, that's not something that we're going to be able to get to where we want to go. And I've seen this play, this team play championship level defense. I haven't seen it play that on the offensive end and we need to get there in January. Let me ask you a question back in your direction about the offense and about LeBron specifically. And the style that LeBron wants to play and needs to play to some extent to get through the regular season. I tend to talk about it a lot in the context of defense. Uh, and, you know, you can see there are pockets where he's he's needing to recharge on that end. But I wanted to, and I think I mentioned this to you at the office yesterday, like I, I wanted to understand what LeBron is trying to get accomplished on offense. And when he is the lead decision maker and ball handler and the energy shift that that might take versus other players. And if Austin is or isn't on the floor in the starting lineup in that context, like what, so what do you think about LeBron on offense in the regular season as he's trying to get through year 21? So I think he's currently positioned to be the point guard at almost all times that he's on the floor, which is a the biggest change from the beginning of the season. And when Austin is on the floor, like that's when Austin is best at point guard is when he's also on the floor with LeBron because LeBron is still such a shapeshifter that he's like, oh, all of a sudden he's an awesome role man. And really our go-to action in crunch time, which we've been decent in this season, has been Austin and LeBron ball screens. And they can, it can, they can set screens for each other. Right. Like both guys can play both roles depending on the defensive coverage. And so within that, how do you make that not overly taxing on him from an energy standpoint, I think, is the nature of your question. That's one of the big reasons, Mike, I've been so big on his post play. And this has been something that the Lakers have transitioned to, D, is LeBron more in the post? Because the idea is he's standing in one place. He doesn't have to break a guy down off the dribble from the wing off of a switch or something like that. That 
and that to me is much more physically taxing than, okay, you got one-on-one coverage in the post. They're going to send a strong side zone or have some sort of help lurking off of the ball. And But he's standing in one spot using that incredible basketball brain of his deciding where the ball's supposed to go. If we're too stagnant, though, D, if there's not enough intentionality in the cutting and the action that's happening off of the ball, he's not going to have his as big of a menu to choose from with his passes as he could. And so to Mike's point and, and question of how do you bridge the what LeBron needs to do to get through an 82-game season and then this new responsibility of him basically being the point guard all the time when he's going to be on the floor with, you know, how do you bridge those two ideas? I think the post the post is going to be a, a big part of what we do going forward. I agree with that. The interesting thing is, and I think at the crux of Mike's question as well, is that LeBron is like the best freestyler you'll ever see. And so it's like he is a natural organizer within the idea of this is what the defense is doing on any given possession. This is the personnel that we have on the court. This is the personnel that they have on the court. Let's go to this. No, I don't want you in this corner. I want you in that corner. No, AD, I don't want you screening this this time. There was a possession late in the last game where it was LeBron and Austin on the court at the same time. And Austin naturally went to go set a ball screen for LeBron. LeBron waved him off and he called Torian Prince into the action instead to set a ball screen. Prince came to set a ball screen and he ghosted the ball screen, ran to the three-point line. LeBron hit him with a pass and Prince got an open three and he made it. And it was like that sort of cycling through of that, that requires a versatility and an understanding from everyone else and not necessarily just an understanding from LeBron. And that bridge that you're talking about, Pete, and that idea that Mike's presenting about how do you build something around LeBron, what you also need are smart players who understand this is what I need to do because there is no set action. Even intentionality, Pete, requires a certain amount of we're playing out of this formation. And LeBron is sometimes going to scrap that entire formation because he sees something different. And so if on one play, Cam is is above the break, because that's where the alignment is. And on another one, he's weak side corner. And on another one, he's strong side corner. And then in another possession, he might be in the dunker spot. That requires so much processing from Cam to be like, these are all of my responsibilities within all of these different sections. And to speak to that reading and reacting point, Pete, there is no script for that. You need to be able to understand what the defense is doing on this specific play, where they're trying to cut LeBron off from, and then what the triggers are out of that. And this team doesn't practice enough to say, we're going to get this down. And there's been too many disruptions within the context of the lineups for them to gain the continuity where that togetherness is actually going to flow naturally. And so 
Like, I don't have a good answer for you there. It's it's sort of just like, well, they they do need to pick pick a path, but it's like a fundamental issue that I see as being difficult to overcome at times. And I think that's where I wind up. And, and that's the that was the question of the season. And it's not to go back to LeBron. It's not about fatigue, even in the year 21 in a physical level, like day to day. It's more just the mental toll that he knows the season takes and he knows that it has to be gotten through. And so when he knows how much energy it's going to take in the postseason, and therefore there's a certain percentage of that energy that can be that can be distributed in January. And so for this month, it helps. That's why I mentioned the back to backs or lack thereof or the home game and the fact that he can get actual rest. Um, and, you know, the chamber that he's got in his house is better than the one that they have uh, on the road, <laughs> you know, and, and all those kinds of things. So and it's I just think that. Sometimes when we're trying to figure out, I think that it's difficult on coaching staffs uh, to try and install a certain type of offense or a certain type of system when the best part of it is just what no one else in the world can do. And that's LeBron diagnosing it on the fly. Yeah. And it's just that 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 will only work up to a certain level in the regular season when you're playing other teams that have just as much or sometimes more motivation uh, to win that game and to execute in that game. and. You know, what I'm not trying to say, though, is is the, the other part of this argument that I think could be annoying is, is like, well, just it's not going to work. Just trust that the way that LeBron's going to do it is either going to work or it's not. And trying to trying to put in all these different rotations and all these different systems. And that to me is is a fool's errand, at least to an extent. And so just like pick the best one. Uh, and and if a player goes out, which is always going to happen, like that's the th- Sorry, I, I'm I'm doing a tangent here. This clearly is not going to be a team that just gets healthy. Like you can't, you have to stop asking for that. I think to come, and and Amen. that goes for most NBA teams, with the exception of the Sacramento Kings, who I my big thing in the offseason was that they can't possibly be as healthy as they were last year. Well, they are again, mm-hmm. you know. So something's working there. Um, same with OKC. OKC has I don't even I can't even think of a player um, who's missed more than a game or two um, for them. So okay, the teams that are able to say that healthy, great, but that has not been the Lakers, and so that's not going to come. The this this January to harken back on an earlier point, just just let's hope that they get to a point where of stability, um, even if it isn't working great on a given night and just go go with that and then trust that eventually the, the LeBron element is going to carry the day as it usually does in that context. And you know who hasn't even come up in this conversation in terms of stability is Anthony Davis. And he's been the Anthony most stable Davis. thing. I was going to say his name just to say it, Pete, as I was going through that rant, because he is the best player. Yeah. And he has been the most player, but he has been stable. He has. And one of the ongoing storylines on the court this season has been the developing offense through AD, and we need to keep down that tr- that track. So really, when talking about LeBron diagnosing the defense and calling through the Rolodex and saying, no, I don't need you to set the screen, Austin, Torrey, and you come do it, and then it, it works for a, a pick and pop three, that is great when LeBron is on the floor, uh, but when he's not, the that can be challenging. And so Anthony Davis is the guy who's going to be on the floor when LeBron is not. And offensively, he started to carry a greater burden for the Lakers over the course of December. And so carrying that forward in ways where 
we're good at at least we're okay at the last part of those first quarters because that when you look at this team one of the reasons that games go the way they do is we'll have these small stretches where we're god awful like it's a 12-0 run in 90 seconds what what the hell just happened this game just got away right and a lot of times it is in that back half, half of that first quarter and so AD has been wonderful individually as a, an offensive player. And I mean, that as a scorer and a passer. But he said one thing, D, in the Minnesota game, right? We started out that game, turning them over. And then when we were in the half court, AD was just roasting Gobert. And then in the post game, he talked about how they came out of the locker room saying the, the Wolves players were like, hey, we're going to double you in the second half. And he was like, and so we started going to the, our pick and rolls, right? And my thought is like, let them double Anthony Davis, That to me is like you win as soon as you draw a second defender. That's really the goal of good offense is you've created advantage at that point. Keep going down that road. Don't go away from it. Learn how to exploit it better. And you're going to have to be really intentional with that when it's a Jared Vanderbilt in the game, when Cam Reddish is in the game. If we go big with Hayes, for example, there are several guys on the roster where it's if we don't have intentionality when AD gets doubled, then it's going to they can get away with certain things, but not if we have a good enough plan, right? And so that to me is one of the big things about building stability going forward is offense through Anthony Davis. Well, 100%. And it's funny, we spent this whole pod talking about, in essence, like what's wrong with the Lakers and how can we fix the Lakers? And we talked a ton about the players who are playing the best. And LeBron's been pretty much awesome. And AD has been, honestly, if the Lakers were... Instead of 17 and 17, they were 20 and 14 or 21 and 13. AD might be in the MVP conversation based off of the level that he's played. And so I agree 100% finding these avenues where the Lakers leverage their best talents in the best ways to give them advantages, even micro advantages that the other players can then take, take advantage of is super important. The part that needs to happen more is also those other players taking advantage of that advantage that's being given to them, right? And so it is making shots. It is making better decisions within the context of how to organize in an offensive possession. It is like less no-pass possessions from D'Angelo Russell and Austin Reeves. It is having more intentionality from those ball handlers and the guards because LeBron is an offense unto himself. He is going to plan appropriately. Even when AD gets the ball off of a defensive rebound and he doesn't outlet, the Lakers typically get into something useful just because their best player has has the ball. What I'd like to see from the Lakers moving forward is when their third and fourth and fifth best players have the ball. What is the plan then? And if the plan isn't going to be, we'll get the ball to your first or your second best best player, then there needs to be more organization around that and more intentionality around that because there hasn't been a lot of times those those third and fourth best players look at themselves like oh it's my chance to be the first or second best player 
And they're just not going to be as good as LeBron James and Anthony Davis as getting their own shot or doing it efficiently. Like I've marveled at Austin's ability to get downhill and finish and do a lot of the stuff and score at, at the efficient level that that he has. But it does create a stagnated offense. And you can't rely on Austin Reeves to do that night after night after night. Like he's an excellent player, Mike. He's just not LeBron James level excellent. He's just not Anthony Davis level excellent or Anthony Edwards or Tyrese Halliburton or whoever name whoever you're like oh pure number one guy on a playoff caliber team he's not that good and so I'm just looking for more structure for him even in order to let him thrive even more because the Lakers need that if they're going to get over this hump that point is so good it's kind of it's simple and complicated at the same time. And it, it's like it if you're if you're jumping around league pass and you're watching the most teams have a primary option and then like a secondary option, and you don't see a ton of teams that have a third or a fourth guy that's just asked to kind of just go cook um too often. It does happen. Like there are there are groups that do it, but I don't know that it's a it's a great and sustainable way to play. And on this specific Lakers team, it's almost it's harder to have it not happen because on the plays that LeBron isn't initiating, you know, he, although he's, you guys talk about this a lot. He's like the best cutter in the NBA when he wants to be, but on times that he's not, uh, then, you know, then it's almost like, Hey, you just go, go handle this possession. And that's not going to be as, as efficient as a possession unless it's involving the rest of the team. And that's where the structure part, uh, as uh, I think kind of comes to fruition in the wrong way. Um, if they're, if it's, like if you can't go and, and just take some take your guy on up the dribble, well, where's Anthony? Where's Anthony Davis? Like where's somebody else that can come set a screen? It's just that's that's the part of the process, Pete, that hasn't been there yet. Uh, and I think that's a important way to understand the group as as part of the whole LeBron uh, LeBron James offense and where's Anthony Davis in it, and not just having it be Austin or D'Lo or somebody else that just tries to do that same thing. Big opportunity to take those first steps tonight against Miami. We will be back tomorrow to discuss. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's in. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Bat next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Look at me. Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one. Listen. Bryant. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot popping out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! 
James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.